Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now as you prepare your heart to receive God's Word, we pray that His Spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life. Well, good morning, Hope Church. Good morning. I learned this week uh, that apparently English speakers have been saying good morning for over 500 years. For half a millennia, English speakers have felt the need to greet one another in the morning. In fact, I, I learned that the very word hello, the word hello actually only started to begin, to begin being used in the 1830s. The, the telephone had just been invented and Thomas Edison was urging people to greet the person on the other line with, hello. Because obviously you can't pick up the phone and just say nothing. You have to give a greeting, so you say hello. Uh, his rival, Alexander Graham Bell, invented, uh, insisted on a very different greeting word. Alexander Graham Bell said you should answer the phone with, ahoy. Uh, you can raise your hands if you answered the phone that way this week. I think Edison won that one. Edison and Bell, they may have had very different words to use in their greetings, but they both understood something, the need for people to greet one another, to say hello, to greet one another. And whether the greeting comes in the form of good morning, hello, or ahoy, we're made to greet one another. It's an act of declaring our warmth, our acceptance of the other person. It's a gesture of belonging, of affection and esteem. Today we're gonna to be looking at Romans chapter 16, verse one to 16, and it's a passage that is full of greetings. And I invite you to turn there now, Romans chapter 16, verse one to 16. And as you're turning there in your Bibles, I, we just wanna give you some background. We've been walking through the book of Romans, which is a masterfully systematic treatment of the gospel message from Paul. It's a masterpiece. However, it is anything from a cold and academic paper because from the outset of the book, Romans chapter one, verse 11, Paul expresses his longing to see the saints in Rome. And even in our sermon last week, uh, we hear Paul's desire to come and be with them with joy and be refreshed with their company. You can sense the real warmth in his heart. He's not just writing an academic paper, he's writing a letter. And finally, that longing and warmth culminates in our passage here today, Romans 16, a grand passage of greeting. And let's read it now, starting in verse one. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epanetus, who is the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, my beloved and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. 
Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Perses who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegion, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Norius, and his sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss, and all the churches of Christ greet you. I made it through all the names. If you haven't already done, uh, um, right, right now before we jump in, we just want to give a few preliminary observations of the whole text before we dive in and break it down. Uh, observation number one, this is a greeting passage. Just look at the greetings. Essentially, the entire text is filled with one command, with one imperative. It's to greet. The command is repeated 17 times. In fact, there's no other command in this text. Just greet. And God wants to show us one thing, one thing he's essentially asking the church in Rome to do, and that's to greet. See, God is waving the flag with repetition in a single command, a single word, greet. Greet. You catching it? Greet. Observation number two, uh, in all of Paul's epistles, this is the most comprehensive greeting passage. See, it's common for Paul to send greetings in his letters, but this greeting passage is unique in its length and its substance. In 2 Corinthians, he gives a short greeting, but unlike this greeting, he doesn't mention any names. He's very general. In 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, he does mention several names, but it's mostly in the form of so-and-so over here says hi, or so-and-so will tell you more. Basically, he's talking about members of his team who, are, who send their regards or say hello, but he doesn't refer to his original audience by name. And in Galatians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, there's no greeting at all. And that means that this text... Our greeting passage today stands alone as the most comprehensive, specific, and affectionate greeting of all of the Pauline epistles in the New Testament. In other words, God is beckoning us to stop and look. I don't know about you, but greeting passages are usually the types of passages that I tend to gloss over in my reading plan. You get there in your reading plan, and even in this passage here, it's easy to gloss over this text and glance down at the doxology in verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, and you think, ooh, let's jump right there. Let's get to the, the doxology. That's the real stuff. But we can't do that here. Oh, well, the first reason is because all of God's word is the real stuff. That's why we preach it verse by verse. But number two, especially because of how unique of a greeting passage this is. Take note, if this passage were absent from the Bible and from our lives, we would miss out on the panoramic picture of the affectionate bond that we share in Christ. We would miss out on this concrete, tangible, with real names, real relations, bond, and affection. See, Paul is modeling for us true bonds of affection. If we lose this text, we lose that. And that brings us to our last observation, observation number three. Paul is affectionately personal. He's so personal. Paul mentions 26 different names in the passage. Names of saints he knew firsthand. See, he truly cared in a personal matter, manner. He knew these people. He wasn't aloof. He wasn't distant. So he gives a bunch of shout outs to specific people. He mentions 26 different names. Man, when is the last time you wrote a card or letter acknowledging and esteeming 26 people in it? It's absolutely remarkable. 
And here's one of the things that's so unique about this passage. If you were the original audience, you would recognize the names as they're being mentioned. Imagine being part of the church in Rome and you're sitting with your fellow church family and you're hearing this letter read to you, the most comprehensive treatment of the gospel. And then Paul pivots towards the end and starts talking directly to you. And then you hear greet Prisca and Aquila and you immediately think, I know them. There's a church that meets in their house down the road. And you hear, greet Mary, and you immediately think, I know her too. She's sitting right there. And here's the effect of that. It all becomes personal and dear to you. It starts to hit so much closer to home in a much more personal way, in the local place you live, with the local people you live with. So today, I'm gonna do something a little different. You see, we wanna be good Bible students and get a taste of how these words would fall on the ears of the original audience. We want this passage to have a similar effect on us as it did on them. So in this sermon today, we're gonna to be sending our greetings to specific people by name. And I pray that this text begins to hit close to home for you as well, become alive and personal and dear. With that, let's dive into our text and we'll see, where we'll see God's word commanding us to do four different things. We have four points, four commands. Here's the first command. In Christ, affectionately greet dedicated workers. In Christ, affectionately greet dedicated workers. Uh, let's read verses one to five again. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the, uh, of the church at St. Crea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers, underline that in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. In this text, we're introduced to Phoebe, Prisca, and Aquila, and they all share this common trait. They're dedicated workers. The words work and workers are repeated over and over in the whole text, not just in our text, but the re not just in these five verses, but after. Verse six, Mary worked hard. Verse nine, Urbanus is a fellow worker. Verse 12, Percy's worked hard. They're dedicated workers. And Phoebe, Prisca, and Aquila are some of the most exemplary dedicated workers. Uh, let's start with Phoebe. Paul starts by commending Phoebe to the saints in Rome as a servant of the church. Phoebe was a servant. And her, the prime example of her servanthood was that she was the deliverer of this very letter, the epistle to the Romans, and all the way from Sancria, which even today, according to Google Maps, is 18 hours away with tolls and ferry. Obviously for her, it would have been a much longer, more arduous journey, but such was her dedication as a servant. And her servitude extended beyond just that local church, beyond the saints in Rome, because just pause and think for a moment. The very book of Romans that you hold in your hands is in your hands today because it was carried and delivered by Phoebe. Gray Barnhouse observes this. He says, never was there a greater burden carried by such tender hands. The theological history of the church through the centuries was in the manuscript which she brought with her. The Reformation was in that baggage. The blessings of multitudes in our day was carried in those parchments. I pray that even right now, you 
you have a measure of esteem and honor for the dedicated workers who made your faith possible. The dedicated workers who, like Phoebe, emulated the greatest servant of all, Jesus Christ, who is the true word of God delivered to us, who came not to be served, but to serve as the ultimate servant. Even now, would you just take a moment, take a moment to think about the person who delivered the gospel to you, to perhaps, uh, to, who perhaps had the biggest impact on your faith in your life, and would you just say a short prayer of thanksgiving to God for them, their choice servants commended to you. Not only was Phoebe a servant, the text tells us she was a patron. Other translations say a benefactor or a helper. She was a helper of people around her. She gave her money and influence to serve the church, and ultimately, as evidenced by this long trip, she gave her life for the church. She was a patron, she was a servant, she was a dedicated worker. At this point, it may be wise to address a common question that arises with this text. Question being, was Phoebe a deacon? Well, if you start by, if you have the ESV Bible, there should be a little number one beside the word servant. And if you look down at the bottom of your Bible, you'll see a footnote and it will read, or deaconess. And the reason for the alternative translation is that the underlying Greek word, diakonos, is somewhat ambiguous. In some parts of the Bible, it refers to just a servant in a general sense. In other parts of the Bible, it refers to the specific church office of deacon. So what about here in this text? Well, I think Jim Boyce is very helpful here when he says, only the context can determine how it should be taken, and there's not enough said in Romans 16 verse 1 to be decisive. However, if you are curious about the broader question concerning women deacons, I'd invite you to listen to a 2018 sermon entitled Kingdom Advance, Word and Deed. But there is one thing we do know from the context. Phoebe was a servant, she was a patron, and she was a dedicated worker. So Paul exhorts all the saints in Rome to welcome her in a way, in the Lord, in a way worthy of the saints, to help her in whatever she needs, welcome worthily and help her out. There are several Phoebe type women uh, in our congregation who are worthy of commendation, but let me highlight one, one who's not only a servant, but also happens to be a deacon, our, our beloved sister, Rosie. Yes. <laughs> Like Phoebe, she is a true servant of this church. She's given her life and resources to be a helper and a patron to many and of myself as well. That's for sure. Some of you may be new here and not know her. We would commend her to you. Hope Church, would you welcome her in a worthy way? Would you help her in whatever she may need? Would you actually go up to her and ask, how can I help you? She's a servant of the church, a dedicated worker. So welcome and help. Welcome and help. Sorry, I'm just getting started. Our text goes on to describe another set of dedicated workers, a married couple, Prisca and Aquila. Prisca and Aquila are well known throughout the New Testament. You, re you learn about them in Acts 18 in particular. They were living in Corinth uh, because they'd been displaced from their hometown Rome when uh, Emperor Claudius expelled all the Jews from the city. Now in Corinth, they hosted Paul in their house. They worked alongside him as tent makers. That was their trade. Then they traveled with Paul on his missionary journey to Ephesus. Along the way, they take a young Apollos under their wing and mentor him. And we learn in our text that they even have a church meeting in their home. And just with this background alone, we can see that they're dedicated workers. They're dedicated workers who, give, who gave their lives for the gospel. They were movers. They moved from place to place for the sake of the gospel. They were, as Paul puts it, truly his fellow workers. But verse 4 in our text adds a detail that is not found in anywhere in Acts. It says this in verse 4. It says that he, they risked their lives for Paul's life. 
They risked their lives, risked their necks for Paul's life. Wow. It may refer to a dangerous riot that broke out in Acts chapter 19, but ultimately the New Testament doesn't tell us, doesn't assign a specific event to this verse. Nonetheless, it shows stunning loyalty, stunning dedication. Prisca and Aquila were willing to risk death for Paul because of their love for him and because of their love for the mission. They were literally willing to stick their neck out for Paul, to put their neck on the line or put their neck on the chopping block or whatever metaphor we have out of dedication to Paul and the gospel mission. They were riskers of the noblest kind. And because of that, Paul and the churches of the Gentiles give thanks. It's this beautiful couple doing sacrificial, dedicated ministry together for whom Paul says, greet them. The churches give thanks for them, for this choice couple who are truly movers, this choice couple who are truly riskers. I think we need esteem. We need far greater esteem for the dedicated workers who risk in our day. John Piper once wrote a book called Risk is Right, Better to Lose Your Life Than Waste It. And hear these words from Piper. I hope they're on the screen. He says this, a choice lies before you. Either waste your life or live with risk. Either sit on the sidelines and get, or get in the game. After all, life was no cakewalk for Jesus, and he didn't promise it would be any easier for his followers. We shouldn't be surprised by resistance and persecution, yet most of us play it safe. We pursue comfort, we spend ourselves to get more stuff, and we prefer to be entertained. But that's not what Prisca and Aquila chose. Question, do you need more good risk in your life? Risk for the sake of the gospel, lest you waste your life. I don't know about you, but I need this. I feel the pull to a safe and comfortable life, don't you? I feel the pull towards stability and safety. But risk is right. Risk is good. Would God help us to embrace a life of risk and help us exhort one another to be this? Brothers, would you, be, would you aspire to be Aquila? Sisters, would you aspire to be Prisca? Couples, would you aspire to be Prisca and Aquila? Dedicated workers for the gospel who were on the move and dedicated workers for the gospel who risked good risk for the gospel because risk is right. Finally, Greet the Prisca and Aquila types in our very church. Greet Sandro who moved back to this church this past year for the sake of the gospel. Greet Mark and Terry who spent themselves for years from the first day of our church and for the sake of the gospel ministry here. Greet couples like Alan and Janie, Justin and Lucero, Thaddeus and Kylie, Tristan and Jen who disciple people in their homes just like Prisca and Aquila. These are all dedicated workers. Greet them. Yeah. In Christ, affectionately greet dedicated workers. That's our first point. Here's our second. In Christ, affectionately greet dear friends. Dear friends. Let's read Romans 16 again, starting at verse five. Verse five says, greet my beloved Epanetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. 
In these verses, you hear this phrase repeated three times, a beautiful phrase, my beloved. The, this, other translations uh, translate this as my dear friend, my beloved Epanetus, and Pliatus, my beloved, my beloved Stachys, my dear friend. See, in these verses, Paul is not greeting mere colleagues, but dear friends, his beloved. In fact, the name of Epanetus in verse five means beloved. These are beloved dear friends, affectionately greet dear friends. And just a couple of notes, just from these names that we see here in verse five to nine. First note, they're dear friends because of shared history. Look at the text again. Epanetus was dear to Paul because he was the first convert to Asia. They shared history together. The husband and wife team, Andronicus and Junia, are dear to Paul because they were fellow prisoners. They went to jail together. That kind of binds you, doesn't it? It kind of forges a friendship, doesn't it? Shared history and one that forges their friendship. And notice that their shared history is in the context of gospel ministry. They don't have shared history as bowling partners, but they have shared history as gospel ministry partners. Epanetus was not only the first convert, but also the first fruit, see the ESV footnote, the first fruit, which implies that his, com- his conversion represented just the start of a harvest of conversions to follow. Gospel ministry, shared history in the context of gospel ministry. Andronicus and Junia's work in exemplary gospel ministry and imprisonment were such that they were well-known and esteemed by the apostles and their fellow ministry workers. Shared history in the context of gospel ministry. Hope Church Toronto West, just an encouragement. Would you dive into gospel ministry together? And you will find that your week-to-week life together doing gospel ministry will accumulate into a shared history together that will be forged into beloved, deep friendships. Make no mistakes. You get on a production team or a welcome team or a Hope Kids team together, and you serve alongside one another week by week for the sake of the gospel, and your coworkers will turn into dear friends. In fact, this... I'll say this, there are beloved, dear friends that you have not met yet because you haven't jumped in. So jump in, get serving. Finally, greet the dear friends in, our, in this church. Church, would you greet the Epanetus types who were converted and became the first fruits of a great harvest? Greet Dan and Nicole Ramos who renewed their faith at this church. They were baptized at this church and were first fruits of a harvest among the deaf today. Dan has to sign all of this. I know he's really uncomfortable. (laughs) Love you, Dan. Uh, Greet Elsa and Gio. Greet Patrick and Aniko who were saved, baptized in our midst, and were some of the first fruits of the gospel harvest amongst their circles. People we hadn't met yet, but were in their circles. Would you greet the married types who worked hard? Greet Jane Robinson, who's worked hard in so many discipleship capacities at this church. Greet Dom Neshi, who serves everywhere. Would you greet Kim McClellan, who has worked hard for women who find themselves in pregnancy crises? Would you greet the Andronicus and Junia types who've been through the trenches with you? Greet Jason and Aileen, Daniel and Topeka. Greet John Fraser. He got married this week. He's moving out of the city. We still love him. In Christ, affectionately greet dear friends. Dear friends. That's our second point. Here's our third point. In Christ, affectionately greet fellow saints. Take a look at verse 10 of Romans 16. He says, greet Apelles. 
who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. At first glance, these two verses seem odd. They seem out of place in the, in the flow of Paul's letter. Because do you notice in these two verses, there's no personalized remarks. There's no specific commendation to the workers. There's no substantial descriptors of the people mentioned in these verses. We just don't learn a lot here about them. In these two verses, all we have is our names and the families that they belong to. So it seems odd at first glance that Paul would seemingly mess with the momentum of what he's going for and just list a bunch of nondescript names. So in these two verses, verse 10 and 11, why are these verses here? What truly marks Apelles and Herodian if there are no descriptors of their dedicated work or their dear friendship? Why are they notable? Here's what's notable. They are in Christ. In Christ. In fact, in these two verses, that is the only descriptor of these individuals and families. Apelles is approved in Christ. The family of Narcissus is to be greeted in the Lord. It speaks of the bond that they share in Jesus Christ. And if you step back and look at the whole text, in Christ is repeated over and over. Verse two, welcome Phoebe, in the Lord. Verse three, Prisca and Aquila are workers in Christ Jesus. Verse seven, Andronicus and Junia were in Christ before Paul. Verse eight, Ampliatus is Paul's beloved in the Lord. Verse nine, Urbanus is a fellow worker in Christ. Verse 11, Tryphena and Tryphosa are workers in the Lord. Over and over, this text repeats that these are beloved brothers and sisters who are in Christ. And it's not just some writing tick that Paul has. He just has a throw in Christ everywhere. It means something to him. It's important because they're united in Christ together. Paul is joyfully recognizing deep theological truth that these are fellow saints who are united to Christ by faith and that by faith in Christ's accomplished work on the cross, they were buried with him in baptism and raised to newness of life with him and that today they're alive to God in Christ Jesus, Romans 6, and they can walk in him rooted and built up in him. And even more than this, we get to share in Christ together that God has reconciled us to himself in one body through the cross. Just think about how amazing that is. He doesn't reconcile us in in individual uh, little lanes to him. He reconciles us to him in one big body. So therefore the walls of hostility come down in the church. And Galatians 3 declares this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. One in Christ Jesus, fellow saints. But this is what makes verse 10 and 11 so, so notable. Because Apelles is actually a common slave name. The families of Aristobulus and Narcissus refer to the slaves of Aristobulus and Narcissus' household. Herodian may have been one of the leading slaves of Herod's household, but in Christ there is neither slave nor free, for all are one in Christ. Fellow saints, in a world where it is so easy, not just easy, where for some reason it is encouraged 
that we divide ourselves along racial, cultural, male versus female, socioeconomic lines, Paul declares here, we are one in Christ. And it runs deeper than language, culture, food, male versus female, or social status. It is a deeper shared experience. You know why? Because it is a deep shared experience of cosmic rescue. Rescue. I, I read this quote from John Piper. It's long, but I'm gonna re- I have to read it. Just, it just floored me. Here's what P- Piper has to say. He says, the foundation of Paul's profound affection for these people is that he knows he stood with them on the precipice of the wrath of God called hell, where he and they deserve to be. Just imagine standing on the edge of a cliff, of a precipice. And that he and they were snatched to safety by the Son of God as he went over that precipice. And they stand trembling, happy, hugging on solid ground, namely in Christ, That's why he says in Christ and in the Lord eight times. That's where Paul lives with them. We were in as much danger as we could possibly be in together. And now we're safe in Christ, as as safe as we can possibly be together. This was so real for Paul that he could still smell the flames. He could could feel still, still, still feel the ice in his thighs as he looked over the edge of the abyss into the wrath of God. And now rescued by Christ, living in Christ, nobody looks the same anymore. Everybody here in Christ is blood-bought and safe. If we don't feel, you see, if we don't feel a trembling, deep affection for each other in Christ, it's probably because we don't feel very deserving of hell and we don't feel amazed at our rescue. And therefore, the safety we enjoy together doesn't feel very precious. Look around the room right now. You might not be very close to the people around you. You might not even know their names. You may not belong to the same culture and the same socioeconomic background as you. But just like you, by their faith in Jesus Christ, if they're fellow saints, they stood on the precipice of the wrath of God, but were snatched into safety by the Son of God just like you. They, like you, were deserving of hell and could do nothing to get them off of that track. But the Son of God snatched them out just like he snatched you up. And that's what binds us. That binds us like nothing else. So we sing, we're free, free, forever we're free. Come join the song of all the redeemed. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, affectionately greet fellow saints. Would you find a fellow saint in this room? Maybe they don't like the same stuff as you. Maybe they're not the same age as you. (laughs) Maybe they have different backgrounds from you, but you know what? They were snatched from the precipice just like you. Would you find a fellow saint in this room today and greet them? Here's our final point. In Christ, affectionately greet newfound family. In Christ, affectionately greet newfound family. Take a look at verse 12. We're just going to read verse 12 and 13. It says, greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Perses who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Now, Paul opens this section by greeting three sisters in the Lord, Tryphena, Tryphosa, and Perses. 
In all, Paul greets eight women in this text. He esteems them so highly. Percy's in particular is esteemed and bestowed with two descriptors. She's beloved. In other words, she's a dear friend. And number two, she's worked hard. She's a dedicated worker too. You know what happens when you put those two things together? When you combine those two things together, you get family. And just take a look at the very next verse to see the family bond found in Christ. Verse 13 reads, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Because Rufus was chosen in the Lord, Paul got a new family. Just think about this. Rufus got chosen in the Lord, and that had an effect on Paul's life because suddenly he got new family. He got this surrogate mother. It's actually stunning. Paul, he looked left and right in this text, and he realized something profound, that God chose the spiritual family in my life. Paul's thinking, God chooses a spiritual family in my life such that I get Rufus. And not only do I get Rufus, I, my chosen brother, I get Rufus, a mother. Rufus's mother, who has been a mother to me as well. And they're so precious, and I am so blessed. He's stunned that you get, we get the gift of God's chosen spiritual family in our lives. And brothers and sisters, do you know that you are just as blessed as Paul and that you get family too? Because this is what Jesus had to say in Mark 10. It's on the screen. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake or for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Now in this time, you receive a hundredfold the family you lost. But it does come with a, con a condition. You need to leave everything for the sake of Christ and the gospel. If you don't renounce all for the sake of Christ, this promise doesn't apply. But if you do renounce all for the sake of Jesus Christ and the gospel, you will suffer persecutions. Jesus promised it right there. Your life will be filled with scars. It'll be hard, but it will also be filled with brothers and sisters and mothers and children, those you never knew before. It will be filled with newfound family. Sounds worth it. Case in point, in the final four verses, in verse 14 to 15, it seems like Paul is trying to cram as many names as he can before the end of the letter. It's kind of like the end of a wedding reception where there's just too many names of the family to mention, so you just rattle, rattle them off. But we should follow his example in the greeting of his newfound family. Hope Church, would you, great, would you greet the Percy's types, the Rufus types, the Rufus's mother types who have become dear family to you? Would you greet Steve Bignell? He's been like a father to me. Um, I talked and laughed and prayed with him over the phone this past Thursday. Big change in his life. And I told him, you've been a, I said, Steve, you've been like a father to me. I finally got life insurance because you told me I needed to. <laughs> greet the newfound family in your life. Family who your kids want to call after they lost their first tooth. Thanks, Chris and Victoria, wherever you are. In sum, greet one another with family affection. Paul closes out this section with a stunningly succinct a summary in verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The kiss was a common and culturally appropriate greeting at the time. It was physically demonstrative. 
A holy kiss was one that was not erotic, non-romantic, but instead a kiss of family affection. Hope Church Toronto West, would you affectionately greet one another? Would we grow in warm, culturally appropriate, platonic, physical greetings of family affection? Give handshakes. Make up cool, unique handshakes. Give high fives. Make up cool, unique high fives. Give hugs. Maybe keep the hugs classic. If you come from a conservative Asian background like me, learn to hug. It's great, it's a trip. If in doubt, give a side hug. But in the end, let us greet one another with warm, culturally appropriate, platonic and physical greetings of family affection, because here's the truth. You are all one in Christ. Co-heirs of the faith, fellow partakers in the ultimate rescue from hell and sin, the ultimate rescue made by the ultimate savior, Jesus Christ. So in Christ, greet dedicated workers, greet dear friends, greet fellow saints, and greet newfound family. Let's pray. Our Father says in your word in 1 John 3, we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. And God, I pray, would you make that true for us today? Help us to be amazed that, yeah, we've truly passed out of death into life together, and therefore we have a brotherhood, a sisterhood, a familyhood that only you can create. And so God, would our greetings reflect that? Would our greetings reflect the fact that we are fellow saints, that we're co-heirs with you, that we were standing on the precipice of hell, but we were all snatched because of your grace? Would our greetings be as warm as what that bond truly forms? God, would we be marked by distinctive warmth and affection? Would you make us a people who work hard with sacrifice and courage? Would you make us a people who grow deep bonds of friendship through shared history in the gospel? Would you make us a people who celebrate our oneness in Jesus Christ? Would you make us a people who cherish the gift of newfound family in Jesus Christ? Lord, your blood has bought it. On the cross, you gave of yourself to give us a family and a community that we could never get on our own. So we worship you. We thank you. And God, I pray, may not one drop of your blood be, uh, be spilled in, in vain. Lord, if your blood has purchased this for us, may we use it to your glory and to our great joy. In your most precious name we pray. Amen. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.